Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, we're looking at the first few verses here in Hebrews 10 to talk about why we gather as a church. Uh, what is the purpose of being gathered in community in contexts like this, in contexts like like maybe home groups? That, you know, we just we just opened up registration for for those. Uh, again, you've been hearing about that over the last few weeks, uh, and and we kind of have this normal rhythm here uh, that we've done um, every every January, uh, which isn't really a lot because we've only been around for like a couple years, right? So it's like this year and last year. But what we do is uh, we, we, uh, we, we kind of spend the beginning of the year for a few weeks to sur- sort of go over some first things, right? You know that phrase, first things first? And so before we go into uh, the year, we want to sort of uh, revisit and, and settle uh, some first things, some primary things related to our vision and our mission and our values as a church. And, and this week and next week, I really want to hone in on this idea of community. With home groups relaunching in February, I really want us to spend some time on why do we gather as a community? What should our gatherings look like? What should our priorities be? And so we're going to be in Hebrews 10 this morning to look at what is the purpose of this this weekly gathering that we do. Um, Before we get into that, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God who is not silent, but that you speak to us. You speak to us in the scriptures. Your word is living. It is active. It cuts to the heart in ways that are just good and beautiful for our souls. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has purchased for us through his cross and resurrection. Will you help us to see that in this word this morning? It's in his name we pray. Amen. So let me tell you uh, uh, first about one of the uh, the first times that I hung out with my now wife, uh, Alyssa, here in the front row. So years ago, uh, I uh, had invited her to uh, a game night uh, with me and a, and a group of my friends at the time. And, and she, she and I had like known each other uh, as friends for a number of years. Uh, when, when I first met her, she was 18. I was a little bit older. And so we were kind of like acquaintances for, for a while. We became friends. But at this point, at this point, after some years, I was really starting to feel interested in her. Right? For obvious reasons. Like, I was starting to feel really interested in her. And there was one moment on this particular game night, while all my friends were playing, like charades or whatever it was that they were playing, uh, that I looked across the room at Alyssa, and our, and our eyes just sort of like locked, locked in on each other. And I was like, whoa. Like, it was a moment. 
right? Like, I was like, whoa. Uh, time stopped. Berlin's, like, uh, you know, a song about uh, taking your breath away just played in the background. And, and I was like, I was like, well, I really think that this is the girl, right? Like, I, it was like a light bulb moment for me. And as she looked back at me, like our eyes locked in on each other, I was like, wow, this is a special moment. This is almost like a sacred moment. Uh, our future, the, uh, just a new course is being charted here. Uh, and years later, Alyssa and I would be sitting down and talking about that night, and she was like, yeah, I was wondering why you were staring at me like that. <laughs> like, in her mind, she's like, is Chris looking at me? Like, what, 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 why is he looking at me like that? And, and apparently, I found out years later, it wasn't this special moment to her like it was to me. <laughs> I just found this out like a couple years ago. Uh, I would wrongly assumed that we were both sort of on the same page as to how special that, that moment was. In the same way, in the same way, I don't want to make any assumptions that we all in this room understand how special and sacred our gatherings are. I don't want to assume that we all really understand the significance of what it is that's happening, what it is that we're doing when we gather like this on the Lord's Day. The role that this day, that our gatherings play in our growth and in our holiness. I don't want to make any assumptions about that. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of unsure what's really going on here. You're new to this church thing and you're kind of unsure what's going on with the singing and the Bibles and the praying and the weekly gatherings. Or, or maybe you're kind of more like my friends who were present in that room playing games off to the side, oblivious to the magic that's happening in the room, at least in my mind. But regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, I want all of us this morning to consider what is so special about our gatherings? What is the meaning behind our gathering? And so if you haven't already, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start working through that. Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 19, here's our first point. Let's talk about why we gather in community. Why we gather in community. Read our passage again with me. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse, beginning in verse 19, and we're going to read all the way through 25. When the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... But by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession, or let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if you're paying attention, you, you, I want to ask, did you see that? Did you see that this whole passage is really dripping 
with language about community, about relationship, about one another's and, and usness and ourness, this togetherness. The author starts off by addressing them brothers. Brothers, or uh, meaning brothers and sisters. This is letter from a letter from family to family. The author of Hebrews calls the recipients of this letter, he says, brothers. And then again and again and again he addresses them saying, let us, let us, like let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. He doesn't say now, not, not let me, or he doesn't say let, let you or let my friend who really needs to hear this. He says, let us. There's a collectiveness to this. Christianity is, is a faith about togetherness. Eugene Peterson highlights this when he says, one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I. Our instead of my. Us instead of me. There, there are these uh, people that go around like asking questions about uh, like these pollsters that go ask uh, Americans about their faith, and a huge number of people respond to these surveys, and they'll say things like, "Oh, like I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm, but I'm not religious, right? Like I'm not really religious, but I, but I would consider myself a very spiritual person." But if you dig deep enough, what you find is what they really mean when they say that is, is I'm interested in Jesus but I'm not interested in the church, right? I'm interested in the person of Jesus, but I don't want to have to do anything with other, other people. I don't really want that to impact like my life or my relationships because for some reason they've grown disenchanted with church. They're skeptical of church, which in some ways I can understand that. But as we walk through this passage, you'll see from the scriptures that we have this beautiful vision that Jesus has for his church, for his people. That when you strip church down to its most basic definition, you see that church is not, it's not a place, it's not a brand, it's not an organization. When you strip it down to its most basic level, you see that the church is a people. It's a people, a gathered people. It's a blood-bought people. A people that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's a verse in Titus that talks about how, how um, uh, um, God didn't just save us to himself, but he saves us to be a, a people for his possession. There's a one-anotherness to our faith. And here's what you can't miss this morning. You can't miss that Jesus' vision for salvation is that he doesn't just save us as individuals, but he saves us as that people, as a group, as a family. You can't consider yourself a follower of Jesus in any meaningful sense of that phrase unless you are practically a part of that family. He doesn't just save us to a reconciled relationship with God, but he saves us and reconciles us to 
each other, adopts us into this, this, this family. That's why the writer of Hebrews addresses them as, as brothers and as sisters. And it's also why the writer of Hebrews here, after he's just unpacked the fact that Jesus saves, which is what Hebrews 10, all before our passage, is all about. In Hebrews 10, earlier in that chapter, uh, the author is just unpacking like the perfect life of Jesus, the brutal death that he went through, the victorious resurrection. And then he made it, he says in verse 22, all of that happens so that we can now draw near to God. And right after unpacking all that, he turns and says, because we can draw near to God, he says, therefore, let us hold fast to hope. In verse 23. Verse 24, therefore, because of that, let us stir each other to love and good deeds. And then in verse 25, he says, therefore, again, because of all that, he says, let us continue to meet together. Let us not give up that habit. In other words, one of the primary ways that we draw near to God is through community. Don't miss that. One of the means that God uses to grow you is the community of faith. This is not a lone ranger faith. It's one of the prescribed means that God has chosen, that he has sovereignly ordained to grow you, to mature you, is the community of Christ. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, he, God, works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. Men and women are like mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men and women. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing Him, showing God to one another is so important. You might say that when two Christians are following Christ together, there is not twice as much Christianity as when they are apart, but 16 times as much. There's something almost magical, unexplainable, something supernatural that happens when one spirit-filled Christian is meeting with another spirit-filled Christian and you do life together, you do community together. Something special, something sacred happens when we gather in community like we're doing right now. You see, one of the primary ways that God grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. One of the primary ways that God grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. And so when you put it that way, you see that, you know, it's not that you have to be in Christian community is that you get to be. It is a privilege. It is a, it is a joy. It's good for us. <laughs> Secondly, number two, this passage tells us what Christian community should then be shaped like. What should our community be shaped like? So we've sort of established the big why of Christian community, but now what does it look like? What does it shape like? We see three things. First, in verse 23, it's shaped by a sense of hopefulness. Hopefulness. Verse 20, 
3 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, what does he mean by the confession of our hope? When he uses that phrase, the confession of our hope, he's referring to everything that he's been saying in the book of Hebrews up to this point. The confession of our hope is basically saying this hope that we have, that we confess, that we profess, uh, let us hold fast to that hope. So the Cliff Notes version of the book of Hebrews in one sentence is that Jesus not only satisfies every requirement of the old covenant, he surpasses it. He surpasses it. Jesus fulfills every promise of the Old Testament and then some. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So Hebrews kind of shows us how G- that all the kings and all the priests and all the prophets of the Old Testament aren't just random people with uh, arbitrary roles. They're, they're, they're almost uh, what we call types that point forward to the anti-type, to Jesus, the one who fulfills them all. And so Hebrews shows us that Jesus is a greater king than David. It shows us that Jesus is a greater priest than Melchizedek, that he is a greater prophet than Moses. Those guys are just almost like pawns in the story that point to the one who is truer and better than all of that. That's Jesus. And so when the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, he's saying, look, press into that good news. Press into that good news. Press into the gospel. Let the hope of the gospel bury itself in your bones. That Jesus is is better. The power that he comes to bring is greater than David's. That the mediation uh, that Jesus brings between us and God is even more sure, even more forever than Melchizedek. That the word that Jesus came to bring, the truth Jesus came to bring, is even more significant than that of the prophet Moses. He's saying, let's hold fast to the confession, the good news of our hope. Now, some real talk. Sometimes that's hard to do, right? Like you might believe this in your head, but you might struggle with feeling the implications of the gospel in your heart. Because when we experience trials, when we suffer, just the ordinary, regular struggles of life, we begin to question what we know is true. Like, is God really for me? Is He is He really good? Is Jesus really enough? Is the Lord really in control and sovereign over this situation that I'm in? When you read the scriptures, though, you begin to notice that every time God's people are experiencing hard times, he doesn't tell them, look, here's some new thing that you need to learn in order to get yourself out of this. What he does again and again is he tells them, Stand firm. Hold fast. 
Be faithful. Trust me, the Lord says. Stand on the foundation of the good news that you already know. There's not some new thing that's going to help you. Stand fast to what you already know. Remember the strength of our God. Stand on the rock of ages. When everything seems like it's falling apart, hold fast the confession of our hope. And then look at how that verse ends. Uh, Verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. That's how and why we can hold fast hope because our faithfulness to God is backed by his faithfulness to us. And so our community, our gathering, should be shaped by this, this, this hopefulness, this holding fast, the confession of our hope. Secondly, it should be shaped by uh, uh, helpfulness. Helpfulness, helping each other toward holiness. Look at verse 24. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. If we want to grow in the grace of the gospel and holiness, then we need each other. All right? We need each other. Christianity is not a lone ranger faith. We need each other. It's not a, a solo effort. It's a team sport. If you're going to be all that God would have you be, then you need brothers and sisters next to you. You need a local church. You need to be in community. And look, if I'm going to be all that God would have me be, then, then I need you guys. I need brothers and sisters next, next to me. No one is exempt from that. <coughs> look, this is what, this is what uh, uh, the purpose of our, our groups. Now, those of us who gather like this on the Lord's Day, on Sundays, would, 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 would have uh, additional points of contact and additional contacts to which we can stir one another up, encourage one another. That's what our home groups are for. And you know we're launching this next round in February. It's a great context, our home groups, to make great friends and grow in faith together. We need each other to serve each other, to help one another, even to correct each other for our good and for God's glory. This is something that we should fight for, something that we should care about for the purity of our church, for the testimony of Christ in our community, just out of love for each other, for those that we belong to, we need to be together to stir each other up to love and good works. Now, there's, of course, a less fun side of that because that not only means that you fight for the holiness of others, but that also means that you let others fight for your holiness. You don't just sharpen others. It also means that you let others sharpen you. That means you need community with people who are for you, who would love you and honor you and cherish you, but aren't unwilling to have hard conversations with you. Especially when you need to be called out. People who appreciate the strengths and gifts that you bring to the world, but are also honest about your weaknesses and will help you grow. Imagine you have the kind of doctor who sits you down and asks, 
hey, so what would you like me to tell you? Right? How would you like me to diagnose you? I think that would be no doctor at all, right? In the same way, we need each other to get healthy. I mean, if, 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 we, if, if we are doing this just to be told what we want to hear, then we're missing the point. Then that would be uh, no Christian community at all. God wants us to grow, though, in the faith, to be more like Jesus. He uses community as a means to get us there. A famous verse in Proverbs 27 that says, uh, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. And so our community should be, be shaped by, by this, by this, this hopefulness, as we said, by this helpfulness toward holiness. And, and number three, we also see that our community should be, be, be shaped by a habit of gathering together, just like we're doing right now. A habit of gathering together. Read verse 25 with me when he tells them, don't, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, he says, gather together. And he's referring specifically, I mean, he's talking about uh, a regularly gathering with others in the faith, but he's particularly focusing on the Sunday gathering. You ever wonder why churches gather on Sundays? The reason that we do that is, is I mean, church, have been, church has been doing that for like 2,000 years because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose. And so we gather on Sunday to retell the story of the gospel, to remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to, to, re, <coughs> to recenter our hearts on the God of the gospel. Now that root word there for meet together, it's this Greek word, episionagoge. Say that with me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> episionagoge, which 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 means congregation. It means congregation. I mean, if you look episinagoge, it sound, kind of sounds like synagogue, right? It's the same kind of root word uh, there from the Greek. It's a congregation. That's how, that's how we know that this isn't just talking about arbitrary meetings of Christians, but particularly it's about the Sunday gathering. And so we could read verse 25 to say, don't neglect to meet together as a church on the Lord's day as is the habit of some. You see, there is some people had made a habit in the first century that some of us have made a habit of in the 21st century. A habit of forsaking the gathering, not prioritizing it. And that's how we know he's talking about the Sunday gathering here is because of this Greek word, episina go gay. It's not just don't neglect hanging with your homies. Don't neglect hanging with your, your home group or your, your mom's group or your guy's group, but by, by all means, do those things. Those can be good for us, but he's talking here specifically, the author of Hebrews, about the congregational gathering. Christian community is certainly more than just Sundays. It's certainly more than just Sundays, but it's absolutely not less than it. He says, don't neglect gathering as a congregation. 
You might be familiar with the word aggregation, right? Like a group, aggregation is a group of otherwise like isolated uh, parts. So like one of the ways that I keep up with uh, the, the, the news is I go through, through Apple News and it aggregates, it's called a news aggregator, right? It takes all these different individual stories from individual sources and puts them together in one feed for me. Uh, and that's an aggregation. And it's tempting for us to sometimes look at church that way. But the local church is not so much an aggregation, but a congregation. That's why we use the word. And a congregation is not so much like an individual parts that happen to come together, but it's an, a, 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 an intentional joining together. Like a cluster of grapes or like vines on a branch, where each part is organically related to and connected to the other. And so practically, that means you don't just come to a Sunday gathering as an individual consumer to hear some speaker or to have some individualized experience. You come to be with God's people. That means when we pray together, we stand together, we sing with one voice together, even if it's off key, that should make us, this togetherness should make us look around and say, look, I'm not alone in this. I belong to a community. I belong to this family. We should be reminded and encouraged that we are part of something bigger than ourselves when we gather like this. And because everything that we do on a Sunday is meant to be done in community, that means you also just don't come to a gathering like this for yourself, but you actually come here for each other. You come here for each other. And so, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not like if, if uh, like, uh, some, uh, like some, some people will, like, will, will say, like, you know, they, they belong to a certain uh, uh, church when they've only come, like, a few times a year, but they're like, oh, but I always catch the podcast during the week, right? But, man, that's, that's a misinformed interpretation of what church is for. Like, like, the local church gathering like this isn't just for you to receive some message, if that was the purpose, then man, we would, we would just record this behind a desk and have you all subscribe to the podcast during the week, right? But it's for us to be together. Again, there's something magical. There's something supernatural. There's something special that happens when the church gathers like this. Church isn't just some place that you go. It's a community that you belong to where you can love one another, bear one another's burdens, celebrate together, weep together. It's not just on Sundays. Like we get filled up together on Sundays, but then that spills out into the week as we have a fellowship and community with one another outside of the gatherings, like in home groups. So our Sunday gatherings and our home gatherings, we're doing mutual ministry to serve one another. Now the purpose of our meeting, verse 25, the whole rest of the verse is to encourage one another. Look at that. Look at the whole verse. He says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it says, look, don't neglect to meet together, but instead encourage one another. Those two things go hand in hand, meeting together and encouraging one another are one and the same, according to the author of Hebrews. 
He's saying, you know, stirring each other up, like we talked about earlier, is about sharpening our character, but encouraging one another is about lifting each other up. One of the ways that we do that is through our gatherings. And this goes back to what we said earlier, like that through the Spirit of God, our gatherings have a, this, this supernatural, fruitful effect in our lives. And here he says, let's do this all the more because, verse 25, the day is drawing near. Now, in most of our translations, that word day is capitalized because it's a, a, it's a particular day. He's, he's talking about what they considered the day is a particular day. It was judgment day, the day that Jesus would return. And so hopefully the author of Hebrews is saying, if you belong to Jesus, if you want to be faithful until that day, that great day when Jesus returns to destroy all evil, all sin, all death, when he comes to make all things new, the author is saying, look, we want to be faithful to him on that day, don't we? And so let's gather together so that we can encourage one another. Let's gather together so we can be in each other's corner, so we can strengthen each other, stir up one another, so that we don't fall away before that great day that he returns. Encourage one another. I want you to think, man, one of the purposes of our Sunday gathering and also of our home groups is that we encourage one another by the way that we participate. You see, this isn't just, you don't just come here for like some, some pastor to encourage you. You don't show up to home group just for some leader to encourage you. He says, encourage one another. Church, this is your responsibility. Your role. Encourage one another. God uses our gatherings to shape us, to strengthen us. If you think church is merely a place to have some felt need met, then your view of the gathering might be more shaped by American consumerism than the Holy Scriptures. Right, think about it. If, you're, if your view of church, if your understanding of church is that you come to have some felt need met, then your view of our gathering might be more shaped by American consumerism than, than what the Holy Scriptures say. You see, part of the challenge for American Christians in our cultural environment is that it is radically individualistic. But individualism is not the norm of human history. My friend Brett McCracken, he, he serves uh, with the Gospel Coalition and he's an elder at a church out in Brea. He writes about this in his book on Christian community. He talks about how Western individualism causes us to, to, to think in terms of like, how does a church fit me? How does, how does a church fit us? Like, does the music fit me? Does the preaching fit me? Do the church's values fit me? Does it fit with my personality and, and preferences? Like that line of thinking is really a, a product of our Western individualism. But then, then in his book he says, but, but what if we've got it all backwards? What if the biblical approach says uh, uh, is, is that um, not so much how, how does, this, does this church fit me, but how can I fit into the needs and the life and the mission of this local church? 
What if, what if that's the question? Not so much how, how, how does this church fit, fit me, but how can I fit into, because of what Jesus has done for me, into the life and mission of the church? He says in his book, McCracken says, individualistic faith shrinks our experience of God and saps the full power of the Spirit in our midst. We thrive most, he says, when we live out faith in the presence of the family of God and all its weirdness and wonderful diversity. Let's be honest. Some of us are weird, right? And community's hard. Community's hard. Getting to know people, having them know you so you can grow together, like that's not comfortable. McCracken's book on Christian community is called Uncomfortable. Getting through the awkwardness of Christian community. But man, this is God ordained, God's ordained means to help us grow, to help us mature, to look more like Christ. So lastly, I want us to close by looking at how Christian community is even possible. Number three, how is Christian community even possible? And the answer we see is actually in the first few verses of our passage. Because it's secured by the grace of Jesus. That's what we see in verses 19 through 22. Read those with me. Verse 19, the author says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest speaking of Jesus over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith now look I know there's a lot of Old Testament language here right with holy places and curtains and priests and a lot of people can find that stuff kind of dense and boring but I don't want you to miss what's being said because it is so important He's saying, the author is saying that Jesus' body is this proverbial curtain that was torn. This proverbial court curtain, like, like it used to be that there was this, this, this idea, this teaching, that there is a curtain that separates sinners like us from the presence of a holy and beautiful God. And so uh, uh, this, the author of Hebrews is saying here that Jesus' body is that proverbial court curtain that has been torn. When his body was beaten, when he hung on the cross, it was like that curtain was torn so that undeserving sinners like you and like me could be reconciled, could be reunited and restored to a right relationship with the Holy God. And that's what makes the community of Jesus possible. That Jesus has done that, that his body was beaten, that his, his blood was spilt, that he rose from the grave. Because of the gospel, we can have community like the world has never known it. You see, in the Old Testament, worshipers of God could not draw near to him in a profound way. You had the temple, you had layers to it like an onion. And the innermost part is where the presence of God was the strongest, where it was the most intense. Only the high priest could go in, and he could only go in on once a year. The average person couldn't get in. And this veil, this curtain was around it, 
symbolizing the separation between God and sinners because he is pure and we are stained. There's no way, there was no way for the average person to, to get in until Jesus. Until Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God. When Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, the temple ways were destroyed. The temple itself was destroyed. The veil was torn, showing that the presence of God, the beauty of God is now unleashed. And man, we need that. We need the presence of God more than anything. His presence meets us. It it pursues us. It transforms us. And it transforms our relationships. Because when you are loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for you, washed by his blood, then you are truly free to give yourself to others. His nature, His holiness, His love liberates you, transforms you. It it frees you from being selfish. And it, it frees you from being insecure. It liberates you from feeling like you have to flex or posture or put on a front. Most of us, uh, outside of God's grace, most of us will use community to make ourselves feel validated. We use community. We use others and their time and their attention. We use others to make ourselves feel validated, to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Or, on the other hand, we'll just avoid community because it makes us feel, feel a, a, a safe to be, to be apart from people. And it makes us feel un, unexposed. But that's still serving yourself. That's still serving yourself. But when you know that you're loved and accepted in Jesus... When you have a perfect relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, then and only then can you truly and fully and wholly give yourself to others because you have already been made full. And your posture of community is not that you need to use others, but you get to give yourself to others like Jesus has done for you. You see, Jesus suffered alone for our sins. When on the cross, the Father turned his face away. He suffered alone for our sins so that God would never leave you or forsake you. So if you don't have faith in Jesus this morning, know that through faith alone, you can have community with him. And with others. For those of you that already have faith in Jesus, know that because you have community with Him, you're now free to have true and meaningful community with others. And so, one of the things that we can do practically for that is, is when, 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 before you come to a gathering of the church, whether it's on Sundays or in home groups, like pray. Pray that God would prepare your own heart to be an encouragement to others, to stir up 
others. Plan on being an encouragement to others. Man, imagine how our church would grow, and I don't mean numerically, I mean in depth. We're more concerned about our depth than we are our breadth. But imagine how our church will grow in depth if we intentionally seek, if we plan and prepare ourselves to build up and encourage each other each Sunday. That we understand by the way that we participate, that just by showing up, by participating in prayer, by lifting up our voices in song, by checking in on one another before and after the service. Like, what if we, we, we intentionally sought to build each other up and encourage one another? Imagine how we might grow and be strengthened and encouraged. And picture the skeptics, the doubters, or maybe those who are discouraged that might have the hope of Christ instilled in them when they witness just the presence of believers acting like believers. You see, what Jesus does for us in the gospel will change your relationships. It changes our view on fellowship because it changes everything and will change our church community. For the glory of God, the growth of our church, and the good of others. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.